0: And when I looked at that, I couldn't stop but break in tears and say, Lord, break my heart for the people who are going to hell. Break my heart like you broke it for Paul, for the people of Israel. Thank you very much, Youth Choir. Well, I think that was an appropriate uh, hymn or uh, song they sang as well, because we are going to talk about Help Wanted, The Higher Call. Now, according to InsiderMonkey.com and Yahoo Finance, the top five fastest growing industries for the 2021 year has been, number one, the respiratory ventilation manufacturing, number two, the heavy duty trucking. Number three, deep sea and inland water transportation. Number four, casinos and gambling. Number five, car and automobile, automobile sales. But then if you do another Google search, they'll give you a whole different list that's completely different from this one. But like accounting, healthcare, death care, cloud networking, software development, cattle ranching and farming, et cetera. Those are things that are always on those lists. Now, there was another website I found, OECD.org. And they did a survey in 31 different countries. And they did it from the year 2000 all the way to 2018. And the survey was for 15-year-old boys and girls on what they aspired to be when they graduated. So the top 10, for the ladies or the girls, the top 10 were doctor, teacher, business manager, lawyer, nursing or midwife, psychologist, designer, number seven, veterinarian, number eight, police officer, number nine, architect, number 10. For the boys, the top 10 were engineer, and then business manager, doctor, IT professional, an athlete, teacher, police officer, mechanic, lawyer, or architect. Architect being number 10 again. Now, the average of whether that child would achieve that aspiration by the age of 30, because they were doing it, remember, with 15-year-olds from 2000 to 2018. And the average of that person, by the time they reach the age of 30 to reach that aspiration, was 52%. 52% of these 15-year-olds that said that they will be something achieved it by the time they turned 30. Men and women have surrendered to the call of full-time service for a long time as well. And as you may know, this industry is also in very high demand. If you could pull out your Bible and move and turn over to Matthew chapter 9, and we'll stand for this as well. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 to 38. Perhaps I'm presenting to you the industry with the highest demand of all. Matthew chapter 9, in verse 36 to verse 38, we'll read it together. It says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest is truly as plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. You may sit. As much as I believe that God had called me to full-time service, the fact of the matter was that it was never a case of whether there was a proverbial phone that was ringing and I just happened to answer the call. I believe that phone in my life had been ringing from the very beginning of time. Before even we were born, I believe God is a God that cares about the whole world. And He doesn't only care about one group of people, but He cares for every single group of people. I believe that God is still calling people to surrender to become missionaries, to surrender to become evangelists. But some Christians would not want to heed this call because they are afraid that the Lord would have them do something they don't want to do. The famous missionary, Jim Elliott, who gave his life in Ecuador, said, our young men are going into the professional fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. We must begin thinking in terms of going out and stop our weeping because they won't come in. Who wants to step into an igloo? The tombs themselves are not colder than the churches. May God send us forth. This message is a one-point message. And it's centered around this one theme, help wanted. God is still hiring. This message is my testimony of how the Lord had blessed and had never forsaken His servants in their time of need and from the time that I was a teen to today. But let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for all you do, how you are a great and loving God. And you don't only care for those who are saved, you care for the lost as well. And I pray, Father, that that would be the intention of this whole message. That it wouldn't be me speaking to them, but, Father, that it would be you. Glorify yourself, O Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to every single person's heart here. And as the words come out of my mouth, Lord, if it was ill-intended, I pray, Father, that it wouldn't be, but that you would turn it and use it for your honor and your glory. And I pray, Lord, that your word would not go void. And I pray, Father, that you'd glorify yourself now in this service. And I pray and thank you, Lord, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a family, as you may know, in a family that was spiritually mixed. They were spiritual, they were Buddhist and Hindus. I I say they were both Buddhist and Hindus because usually you can't tell the difference sometimes. And the irony of the both is in Buddhism you don't believe in gods and in Hinduism you know what happens. You believe in many gods. But, as a child, I would go to a Buddhist temple, and then I would go to a Hindu temple. And uh, when I would ask my parents, so which one is correct? They'd tell me, all of them, they're all okay. Okay, well, I wasn't satisfied with that answer. So, kept going. And as life continued, eventually our family came to Canada. And surely, slowly but surely, my perspective on Sri Lanka started to change. Sri Lanka is my home, my original home, but it started to change and Canada started to become my home. And from Buddhism to Hinduism, I started moving more towards Catholicism because it was more prominent in Canada. But one time, I got this opportunity to visit a Kingdom Hall. Who knows what a Kingdom Hall is? All right. Kingdom Hall is where the Jehovah's Witnesses, they gather, Uh, on Sundays, and uh, they also have Communion. Now, it's interesting because the Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't really partake in the Communion. All they do is they pass the trays one beside the other because nobody is actually worthy to partake. Only the 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses can partake, right? And one of the things that really struck me, because they do have speakers that come up and speak, and one of the speakers said, no one can go to heaven but the 144,000. Now, I was only eight years old, but this didn't sit right with me. And I asked one of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the one that had, that had invited me to the Kingdom Hall, I asked him, what did he mean we won't go to heaven? It's like, then what are we doing here? I was eight years old. I was asking these questions, but... What he said was, well, we are not any of the chosen 144,000. So we can never go to heaven, but we will inherit the earth. And so on and so forth, he went on. But I was not satisfied with what the Jehovah's Witnesses had to tell me. Now, I had finally made it into high school later on, and I didn't really go to any religious places. Uh, in, In fact... Oftentimes, I thought, well, religions seem to only bring conflict. I feel like religion is only something that governments use to control masses or uh, that people would use for whatever their, their ill intents were. That's how I felt at that time. To me, it felt like religions were only bringing wars and conflicts. But then, at that point, you would almost say I was an atheist at that point. And a Catholic friend of mine came up to me, and he, he asked me, Devian, what do you believe about the universe? Where did it start? And I said, uh, I, I think the Big Bang, the Big Bang happened. And then he said, all right, Devian, you look like a smart guy, thank you. And then I said, uh, what else would you have as an origin? Well, he asked me, well, here, think about this. If the Big Bang was the origin of the universe, And nothing in this universe comes without an origin Then, what originated the Big Bang. And to me, that was like checkmate. I'm thinking and I'm thinking I couldn't come up with an answer, a legitimate answer, one that wouldn't just, you know, turn it around. Well, who started God? Well, one of the things he also left with me was, Devian, do you realize that if you are wrong right now, and you don't believe in God, that you have all of eternity in hell to pay for. But then if I'm wrong about God, and if, he, if God doesn't exist, and if I'm wrong about God, then I have really nothing to lose. And that really stuck with me. For the longest time, I was going without anything to cling to. This didn't sit well in high school. And eventually some friends of my parents invited them to a a Pentecostal church. We went to this Pentecostal church and, you know, there were all kinds of weird things happening in there. I wasn't really taught the gospel there. But I was still given an NIV study Bible. And I think the study Bible was one of the things that made me really curious about stuff because it would have questions on the side and you would read the questions and it's like, it gives its perspective on what... The Bible is trying to say. The, the church that, was, that I was attending was also kind of like rocky and it, it liked a lot of uh, contemporary Christian music and things like that. Well, time passed by and eventually a man, I hear the man was on a roller, on rollerblades. And the rollerblades, on rollerblades, he came through this complex housing on ups and downs on one three seven three five. And then he went to unit 77 and he decided, I'm going to put a VBS flyer in this house. And he stuck it right there. Parents came home, they saw the flyer, and they thought, hey, we're Christians. Hey, we have a child that's between 6 and 12 years old. Let's send them here. So, long story short, in 2010, my brother came to Vacation Bible School at Grace Baptist Church. And... Sure enough, he came back home, you know, after the five days of the VBS, and he told us he got saved. I'm going, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> and he said, oh, if I were to die, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. And the being the good brother that I was, I laughed him to scorn, and then I told him, that's impossible. You can't know that for sure. Well, sure enough, the church that we were going to they, uh, they kind of dissolved and they stopped having services. So we came to the next closest church, Grace Baptist Church. And this was 2011, which was the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible. Pastor White kept preaching about the King James Bible. And this got me curious because I had this NIV Bible and I was like, okay, I got to have the right Bible. I need to have the right kind of Bible to learn about God. So I switched my Bible over few months pass. An evangelist named Lou Rossi comes and he preaches. First day of the revival service, I was convicted. I knew that I wasn't going to heaven if I were to die. My fate was going to hell. So, third day of that revival, I came. I was so afraid to come on the, last, the first two days of the revival service to come and get on my knees and pray to get saved. But the third day, I finally came out and I got saved. April 27, 2011. Changed my life. My burdens were lifted. I could not explain to you how much joy there was in my heart. I think there were many other preachers here because they just came to the revival service, but I even told them, and you know how they are, you know, they say, yeah, praise the Lord, brother, and then they keep talking about the other stuff they do. But it was the most amazing feeling I had ever had. Well, a few more months past, teen camp came along. And then along with teen camp, I was also learning how Christians need to act, how Christian needs to live, Christians need to live. And four interns from a Bible college happened to be there that year, one of them being Pastor Tim. And... Little did he know that the way he held to the convictions that God had put, him, put in him and with the testimony he was displaying that he would affect a newly saved believer like me. I also happened to intern with Pastor Tim. And at camp, I realized how much God could do with a surrendered life. The theme of the camp was Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And the statement that really stuck with me throughout that whole camp, and I can't remember the preacher who said it. It was one of the four. But the preacher said, This world has enough doctors, engineers, architects, nurses, designers, And everything else. But not enough preachers of God's word. I'll be honest, I wanted to do something with my life. I realized that I couldn't only make a mess of things if I tried to do life on my own. I surrendered for whatever God would do with me. What can you do with me, Lord? Just do it. More than ever before, I had found life. Life in service to the Lord did not seem as extreme anymore. When I was going through high school, I was aspiring to to get into architecture. That was the road I was trying to take. But something that was also bothering me was that the only reason I was in architecture in the first place was that this was just what my parents wanted me to do. I didn't actually want to be an architect. I wanted to do something that would change people's lives. Architecting, or engineering, or even medicine, those were all my parents' dreams, not mine. And when I had surrendered, that also meant that these dreams were on the altar as well, and they were given over to God. I honestly struggled with this for two whole years. 2012 happened after, this was one year later. The next camp year came and I felt the Lord burden me about my relatives in Sri Lanka, my family that were in the home country. But I didn't like the idea. I said, Lord, send me anywhere but Sri Lanka, (laughs) I don't know why. But I didn't want to do anything with it, any other country but that one. I was very disconnected with that culture. As you can tell, everything that the country had put into me, I was trying to put out in my life. And it had left a bad taste. Our family left the country because we were war refugees. That was the reason why we left. But now, God is calling me back. At the same time, I begged my parents to let me go to Bible college Just for one year. I had saved enough money for about one semester. I was planning to go down to the US uh, after, after all of that. But now I had this dilemma. The dilemma was, I either go to Sri Lanka, pay for the whole trip of Sri Lanka to witness to my relatives, or I pay for this one semester of Bible college. And I asked the Lord, what would you have me do? And I believe the Lord said to go to Sri Lanka. So I told the Lord, well, Lord, I will go to Sri Lanka only to reach my relatives, nothing else. That's it. All right? One month, I'm coming back. That's all I'm doing. So I went, and I also found a church there, a Bible-preaching church, and it's the one where missionary uh, Soren Sundararaj is, uh, is now uh, mit, being a missionary in, where he's ministering. But I went there and the first day, first thing I did was we did soul winning and we did some flyering, right? And I got to see what the state of Sri Lanka was like. That whole experience opened my eyes to the spiritual condition of the country. The country was not in a mode of seeking after God. And the thing is, I, I asked this missionary, what was, what, how did you start the church? When did the st- church start? He told me it started 15 years ago. So that means for the last millenniums, this country has been in total darkness. The churches that once preached the gospel had stopped because the government was not happy with them, but this little Baptist church didn't want to stop. And they, they were still growing. At one point, I also had this opportunity while I was there to go into the mountains of Sri Lanka. Now the mountains of Sri Lanka, that's where you would get your tea, where all the tea is being grown in the mountains of Sri Lanka. So we went there. And these were people, I might be getting into a little bit here, but these were people who lived on $3, $4 salaries a week. They, some of them, they couldn't even afford slippers like the richer folk in their city, in their village. But there they were, picking the, pick, uh, picking the tea leaves. And then Sunday came along and Wednesday came along and they would go to church and then they would tithe whatever they can. Imagine tithing on three or four dollars. Not only that, they would take on missionaries for a small amount, of course, but they would still take it on, take them on. And one of the opportunities we had was to go there and soul win. I had to do, we, we went from village to village to village to village, and we'd call these kids, and we'd call their parents. We'd tell them, come, we're going to watch a movie. Most of these kids, they don't even have electricity in their homes. And uh, they would come into this yard, right? And what we did was, we, we had a van, we had some pipes, we stuck the pipes right into this giant yard, and then we draped a white cloth over it. And we ran a projector from the back of the van. And for some of these kids, this was probably like their first movie they were watching. It was a gospel presentation. And one of the brothers there, who was doing this stuff, uh, who was helping, he held an invitation in the Tamil language. That was the language they were speaking. And at the end of it, there were 18 kids who made a profession of faith who said, I want to get saved. And along with that, another 30 others wanted to learn more. If you're in your Bible, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. These villages had no churches around them. This is perhaps their first and last time they'll ever hear about Jesus Christ. During my time in this country, I also watched the missionary there who had started this 15 year old church. He was a missionary who owned a home in Kansas City. He had a prosperous life in the United States. He had a goodly heritage of many generations of Baptists from the south of the US. Missionary Unruh told me about his burden for Sri Lanka. I thought it was the most bizarre sight to ever behold. Because here's white men reaching Sri Lankans. I couldn't believe it. I hated them. I didn't want nothing to do with them. And if not, I asked him, what is it that makes you want to reach these people? and he told me the most heartbreaking thing. Other than the Lord having Pastor Unruh stay there, what else do these people have for hope? What other hope do they have Often a Sri Lankan child would grow up to learn that education was of the utmost importance, that education was the key for a child to help their family out of this line of poverty. Therefore, it was the child's ambition and the parents and the grandparents and the whole family it was their job to grow and nurture their child to get them out of the country but often the spiritual life of a person is disregarded and in the end their own kin leave the country and never come back i was guilty But Jesus Christ made a difference in me. Jesus Christ will be the one to make a difference in them. I struggled when I listened because I knew I was the one who was also guilty. I would pray, oh God, what do you have? Why do you want me to do? Shall I leave all that I have in Canada to go and reach out to these people? So I'd pray, I ask God, what do you want me to do, Lord? I'm burdened for these people, God. What will will I do? Lord, what kind of ministry do you want me to do in this country? God is no debtor either. The money I spent that I gave up to go to Bible college... Turns out there was a bank account that my parents had opened up years ago before I was born. The same money that I had spent to go on that missions trip, the Lord gave back. It was like the Lord was saying, you have honored my request and I am giving now back to you so you can go back. I took it as the Lord was starting to open a door for me. This burden kept coming back to me. I live in Canada under a sealed roof. I'd been blessed beyond measure in a country so blessed, where a man could make a living, but better yet, they don't have to battle traffic to go to church. They don't have to battle the weather or floods to go to church, relatively speaking, of course. I don't have to worry in Canada whether or not the government is going to come after me for worshiping at church. But the people in Sri Lanka do. Another verse that kept coming to my mind, if you could turn there, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 1 and 2. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. I know this verse was Paul's testimony towards the Jews. But even the chapter just before this, Chapter 9, verse 3 says, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And when I looked at that, I couldn't stop but break in tears and say, Lord, break my heart for the people who are going to hell. Break my heart like you broke it for Paul, for the people of Israel. Paul is saying that he's willing to go to hell so that his own people would get saved in eternity in hell. Would you volunteer your life, your eternity in hell so that your relatives could get saved? I couldn't help but apply this to Sri Lanka. Would to God that God would break my heart for those people as He did for Paul. I slowly started to read testimonies of missionaries and biographies of missionaries. One that really stood out was the testimony of David Livingston. David Livingston was a great missionary. He ministered And he ministered to the point where the people loved him so much, though they were not Christians, not all of them were Christians, they still loved him to the point where they were willing to do anything for him. And David Livingston, they knew if he were to die, and after he died, that they would take his body to Scotland. But they loved him so much that they cut out his heart, And they buried it in their land because they loved him that much. They knew how much the heart of David Livingston was so precious. When I read that, I said, Lord, I want the same thing. May my testimony be the same. I want to be buried on my mission field that God had called me to. Lord, please bury my heart on this mission field. I had never had near-death experiences, not in Canada at least. Four years after Bible college, I returned to Sri Lanka just before I turned into a pastor. But I returned to Sri Lanka during my fourth year of Bible college, just to confirm that this is really what the Lord wanted me to do. And if you remember, I had an allergic reaction. I had an allergic reaction and a near-death experience. And that near-death moment brought me to a hospital, and I thought all my plans were ruined that day. I thought, "Oh, this is the worst! All my missionary plans are over." But while I was there, I got talking with the doctor. I got talking with the nurse. Why are you here? You're a Canadian. You have great a great life in Sri Lanka. What are you doing in? uh, You have a great life in Canada. What are you doing in Sri Lanka? And I told them about my burden for Sri Lanka, that I was from Canada and that God had called me to to come there and start churches there, plant churches. And the nurses, well, they didn't get saved. I tried to witness to them, but they didn't get saved, neither did the, the doctors. But they said, we need more people like you. We need more Sri Lankans that will really care for their kin who will come back. And to me, that confirmed it. The unsaved are asking for help. The missionary that was there, Pastor Runru, finally told me something before I had left the country. He told me, Devian, the chances are you may not see people saved during your lifetime. You may have to come to grips with that. God may have it that missionaries after you will have to build on the work that you start. While most harvest fields in this world are ready, the field of Sri Lanka is not even a field yet. Just as the first pilgrims that came to America had to till the land and had to ready the land, had to remove the trees, it was perhaps generations later that they saw a harvest on those fields. But to me, that was all right. I was okay with that. I said, so be it, Lord. I'll go where you want me to go. That is the surrendered life, after all. I don't know how long the path is going to be and how long it is going to be until I get to my mission field. And I don't know how treacherous The path is going to be either but I've settled it in my heart right now so be it my life belongs to God there were times where I really felt inadequate but the Lord provided any skill that I had obtained it was while I was working in the church and it's to the glory of God any kind of help I had been able to provide to any of you. It was only to the glory of God. I knew that I wasn't going to be able to also do this work on my own. So the Lord even provided me a fiancé. And as time had progressed, even the time in between, when I had proposed to her until now, nothing has been in vain. Please turn with me to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, verse 25 to 26. And While you're turning there, let me read to you Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven, under the heaven. And Psalm 37, 25 to 26. It says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.19 says, but my God shall supply all your need. According to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I know that there is still a lot more time to go in my life. I have not arrived, and you know that. And please don't get the impression that I have arrived. A life given to God is never in vain. I promise you, it's never in vain. Your hardships are never in vain. Your witness is never in vain. The loving God that we read through this Bible is a redeemer of broken things. And what I realize is that Sri Lanka is a broken nation. My prayer is that one day, to whichever Baptist church that you will visit, there you will meet a Sri Lankan Baptist. Because more and more people, Lord willing, were called to that mission field. More and more Sri Lankans had come because missionaries had kept the work going. My heart's desire is to have a Bible college there as well, where there are missionaries being trained in South Asia and being sent out from Sri Lanka. My prayer is that education would not be used to strengthen the world, but that it would be used to bring others to Christ. So, I want to put out this challenge now. Teens, what are you afraid of? College and career, what are you afraid of? And parents, what are you afraid of? Have you ever considered becoming a missionary? Have you ever thought about it? And what is stopping you? I'm not telling you to, to make my life the bouncing board for what, I, what I'm challenging you for but I want you to see that there is a loving God who still provides. Has God ever disappointed you? How is your trust in what God can do today through you? Ladies and gentlemen, what you have in your Bible is a giant hung out sign that says, Help Wanted. We need help. So will you inquire within by asking the Lord what He would have you do? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.